and today being Father's Day, uh, this is the first time I'm, I've ever gotten to preach on a Father's Day. So this is kind of a, you know, an honor for me. Um, and uh, I brought, I got some books up here because I didn't want Miss Penny to feel like she was the only one that ever brought books up here during her sermon. So <laughs> I brought some books. <laughs> and I, I want to say, you know, I want to give props to Miss Penny and her her message. That it was awesome. It really was. The, there was a couple of uh, revelation things that you brought out that I, things I had never seen before, and everything. I was like, wow. I mean, I just I did. I literally sit there and just in my mind, I was like, wow. The whole uh, Moses and then going through the the part the birth canal like that, the parting of the Red Sea and all that. I was like, I mean, it just like I was like all my years of being in ministry, it never hit me until until she preached it, and I was like, that's just it makes so much sense. So anyway. Uh, so you have to forgive me, fat boy. Got to take a little breath here. So anyway, I'm not going to have to explain the title to my message this morning because it actually goes with last Sunday's date. And so, being today's Father's Day and everything, and being a, a minister to men like I am, I am talking about men today. And the title of my message is called "The Ides of Man." Now, when I say Ides, you probably immediately think of the Ides of March, and as it relates to Julius Caesar and the death of, of Julius Caesar. So, you know, when I was in school and everything, you'd hear the Ides of March, beware the Ides of March. I'd sit there and think, okay, what's an Ide and why do I need to be aware of it? You know, what does it look like? Is it big? Is it hairy? Do I need a gun? Where do they live so I can stay away from it? What are these Ides things you're talking about here? So I had to do a little research, and so the Ides are on the 15th day of March, May, July, or October the 13th day. Uh, I'm sorry, let me back up. The Ides are the 15th day of March, May, or July, or the 13th day of any other month in the ancient Roman calendar. So what it means is the middle. So being aware of the Ides of March means the middle of the month. You know, so last Sunday was the 13th. It was the Ide of June. So when we think about a man and the three parts of a man being spirit, soul, and body, the spirit being the central part, so the spirit of a man is the Ide of a man. And that's how I tied all that in. Is, you know, and I was really, <laughs> last Sunday, it was like, oh man, you know, now I've got to preach it next Sunday and it's not going to make sense. And I had to do all that. So, the eyes of man or the middle of a man being made up of spirit, soul, and body. Y'all give me just a second here. All right, I'm good. So, it's my expectation that. I will be able to reach into the spirit of a man today. Either by those that are sitting here, by those that are watching live, or, or by those that hear the podcast later on. I want to, from my spirit, the only, what's on the inside of me, reach into your spirit. And bring some things that, that I think are, are, are extremely important and very important that men need to know today. I expect to, to reach into your spirit and uncover or cause revelation to your soul. Because it's only by the revelation of the soul of what a man's spirit... Uh, I'm sorry. Don't no, forgive me. 
I'm just going to read this right here that I wrote. For it is only by revelation to the soul of man, of what is in the spirit of man, can he or will he determine to walk and live by the spirit according to that revelation. The revelation of what he is, who he is, and the answer to the mysteries, mystery of mysteries, what his destiny is. So, God created us. He created us as men. So therefore, it's not possible for us to come into the fullness of men unless we're in the fullness of Christ. We as men cannot be fully who we are, fully who we were created to be, unless we are walking in the fullness of the one that created us. In the fullness of Christ or the anointed one. Dr. Ed Cole said, Man and manhood and Christ's likeness are synonymous. So let's think about what that means. What does it mean that manhood and Christ's likeness are synonymous? It means that we as men, our manhood, what is considered to be our manhood and what is considered to be Christ's likeness are the same thing. Basically just what I said. You cannot walk fully as a man unless you're walking fully as a Christian, as a Christ-like person in the fullness of Christ. Now, there are three things that I'm going to bring out. And <laughs> sometimes when I write sermons, I hate to come up and say, okay, I got three really good points. Because you always hear the old adage, three points in a prayer. <laughs> so I got three points, and I'm pretty sure we're going to pray <laughs> you know, after this. So, let me just say this. Years ago, I mean, a lot of y'all probably know this story, but uh, years ago, when uh, I was uh, at another church and got introduced to uh, uh, men's ministry that I got involved with, um, had never heard of anything kind of like the men, this men's ministry before. Uh, this, it had been around uh, for years, but I'd, in the Christian circles, never really heard of it, uh, never even really seen anything. Now, I had heard of Promise Keepers. If y'all remember Promise Keepers back in the day, I'd heard of that. But, uh, you know, anything like this, which, is, which was, this was born out of uh, Christian's men, Christian Men's Network. And a gentleman came to our church, and uh, he had a heart for men's ministry. He had already been through, at another church, been through the men's ministry. And uh, so he had come to our church and wanted to do men's ministry there. Well, at the time, in my spirit, I kept, you know, kept feeling something about men's ministry. Kept, you know, and, but I had no clue about men's ministry. Nothing what to do. So... He came and he started this, and uh, so our men's ministry at that church was called Fuel. Uh, it was called uh, acronym for Faith Unleashed Everlasting Loyalty. So he started that men's ministry, and we went through um, the Christian Men's Network, uh, Dr. Ed Cole books, uh, which was what uh, the men's ministry here is going through now. And uh, you know the the first book, which was Maximize Manhood. You know, I always tell people, I said when I read that book, I said I had never felt like less of a man in my life. <laughs> But I never felt more encouraged to be a man through that book. It was bringing things to light and showing things that, you know, as a young man, I had never thought about before, never experienced before. You kind of hear some of it preached a little bit, but not exactly like that before. And it was just, I mean, it was just life changing is what it really was. And it really did start changing my life. And, you know, I had been involved in ministry for years. I've done nearly every part of a ministry. 
that there could be from, from being sound to drama to, you know, except, except singing on stage, which, you know, we don't need that to ever come. Uh, so, but, uh, so now the Lord was talking to me, you know, opening up for me to be a men's ministry. And uh, when you go through the, the, the curriculum, you get commissioned as a minister to men. And that's what, uh, and I'm trying not to spill this water as I open it. And that's what I had went through. And my spiritual father, I call him a spiritual father and mentor, Steve Porter, that started the ministry, had told the story about that when he was commissioned, he made the vow that until his last breath would he minister to men. So on my day of commissioning, when you get commissioned, you get called up on the stage and, and you kneel and the men, they pray over you. Then they hand you your sword and they pull you up by your sword. When he handed mine and he started to pull me up, I yanked it back. And I looked at him dead in the face and I said, until my last breath, will I minister to men? I said the exact words that he had said on that stage. A, a new area of ministry had opened to me. A new desire had opened, uh, had opened up to me. I wanted to reach men. Because at the time, we started seeing things that were happening that y'all probably noticed, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. But that manhood was under attack. Men are under attack. And they have been for years. And if you look back and you kind of start noticing things like probably on into, from on into the 60s, probably sometime in the 60s into the 70s, people had a different view of men. People had a different view of, of uh, fathers. And I'm talking about like in TV, when you, when you see the image of fathers and how fathers and men are being portrayed in TV, there was a different view. I mean, those of us who are in here old enough to remember Leave It to Beaver and Ward Cleaver, you know, or The Rifleman, or Andy Griffith. I mean, these were men, and they were fathers. You know, they were kind of, I don't want to say no nonsense, but, you know, they had that, what's the word I'm looking for, that, that, that strength of being a man, just that air and strength of, of being a, a man, being a real man, being a father, you know, uh, able to love their families, and, and hand down punishment when it was needed. But there was always a lesson to learn. But somewhere in there, it's like I said, somewhere in there in the 60s, things started to take a change. And the image of a father began to be portrayed differently. The image of a man being able to, began to uh, be portrayed differently. Started looking stupid. Started looking goofy. You know, and, and it was, it's funny. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a little comedy, you know, a little comedy relief and a little, little goofiness or something like that. But if you'll notice, it became more and more prevalent. You know, and we started getting into, into the 80s. You know, and it was, started getting more and more. Then we had father figures like Homer Simpson. Yeah. Then we had father figures like Al Bundy. You know. And there's probably some more out there, which I probably missed. Didn't really watch that a whole lot, <laughs> you know. But y'all get what I'm saying, you know. 
men on TV and in film, you know, were being emasculated, so to speak. The image was being changed. And then on into the 90s, and you had, from the, from the 80s into the 90s, you know, then you had, uh, um, and I think about the show Roseanne, and even though Dan Connor, the character of Dan Connor to me came across as kind of a, you know, a strong type father figure, it still wasn't prevailing in that show. You know, the, you know, the, I mean, the show was called Roseanne, so, you know, you still had the strong, you know, prevalent, excuse me, ladies, female aspect of the show and what it was about. And see, and then, of course, you get on it over into, you know, later years, and it's become more and more prevalent. They want to change the image of a man from that of being the strong father figure to the, to the wimp. Yeah. You know, excuse, excuse my, you know, just, you know, my, uh, what you want to call it, <laughs> just my terms, but a wimp, you know. They, they want to turn men into women, you know. And the reason behind this is because it's a satanic agenda. You can't really look at, at, at who's doing it, but you have to look past those people to, to the one that's behind them doing it. Because I, I like what, you know, you brought out the statistics last Sunday. Uh, and I believe you stated that uh, if Satan can get to the father, he can get to the rest of the family. And that's totally true. You know, since day one, he has hated men. Since day one, he's been after us. And so that's why it's in my heart to reach out to men and to, for men to realize, hey, this ain't who you're meant to be. You know, there's a man on the inside of you that's locked up that needs to get out and that you need to let out. The first way we do this is through the revelation. The revelation of, is of what we are and who we are in Christ. And we'll go to Genesis, our, our, our staple scripture for that, Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them, look, excuse me. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, let's go back and look at this and notice. He said, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And I like what Miss Penny pointed out in her message that the image being the masculine part of that and likeness being the feminine part of that. Because, you know, I've always, always for years had, had tried to reconcile something that was inside of my mind. And that was a masculine aspect and a feminine aspect of God. I just didn't know what I was thinking about or trying to think about or trying to put my finger on. That day, Miss Penny, you put my finger on it. So props again to Miss Penny for her message. But let's look at this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God himself made man, made us, and we can say man, and it means male and female. But for conversation's sake, for conversation's sake man in our image. So we are in the image and the likeness of God. Yes. Now, when you sit there and you think, okay, if I'm in the image and likeness of God, I don't look like Pastor Brad. I don't look like Tony. I don't look like Michael. So how are we all in the image and likeness of God? 
Because he's God and he looks like every one of us. That's simple. That is simple. That is that. If that has ever been a question in anybody's mind, that is why. That is why you have people like Cedric. That is why you have people that like Asian people. That is why you have people like Native American people. Because we are all in the image and likeness of God. He's God and he looks like every one of us. And so if you're going to try to challenge me on that, I'm going to ask you, have you ever seen God personally? <laughs> you know, so... And then it goes on and says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. Let's back up. Let them have dominion. Right there, when God created man and created us in his image, he gave us dominion, he gave us authority over everything that was in the earth. And Satan set his eyes upon us. Because Satan wanted to be like God. But now here was a man who was like God. Who this entire earth and all that was in it was created for. He created that for us and put us in charge of it and gave us authority over it. Now, so gentlemen, that's one of the revelation things that we need to learn about ourselves. Is who we are on the side of us and the power and the authority that we walk in. And you know, people will argue and say, well, well, you know, Adam gave that authority over to Satan. Well, he did. And Adam, when Adam, in the story of Adam and Eve, when Eve took a bite of the apple, did you notice something, okay? This isn't disparaging to anybody, so I don't want it to be taken that way. Satan went to Eve first, but it says Adam was with her. Adam was not deceived. He could have stopped it at any time. But notice this, when Eve take a, took a bite of the apple is not when everything went upside down. It was only when Adam took a bite of the apple. Does that mean that the man was greater? No. Because the two were one. One half did not make everything go, go crazy. Both halves together made everything go to pots in the world. We basically bowed our knee and gave authority to Satan over this world. So then God had to take it back. So how did he take it back? Of course, through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's how he took it back. Now, Ephesians 2.10, in the Amplified, I'm reading from the Amplified, it says, For we are his workmanship, his own master work, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which... God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Did you hear all of that? I'm going to read that again, a little slower this time. Because this is telling you guys, this is telling us men who we are. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship. His own masterwork, a work of art. Created in Christ Jesus. Created in the anointing, in the anointed one, in Christ. Amen, brother. Reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used. We're ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, 
so that we would walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us. That scripture right there within the Amplified, reading that like that, should tell us the good things that God has for us. Now, I'm going to give you some more scriptures. Uh, you don't have to write these down. But I, I just want to... What, what I want to do is, is for us as men to get the revelation of who we are. You know, because with everything that the world throws at us today, you know, the mind of a man can be beat down. The spirit of a man gets beat down. In 1 John 3, 1, 2, it's, in Romans 5, 8, we're loved. In Galatians 4, 7, we are His. In Romans 8, 28, we are important to Him. In Romans 8, 1, in Ephesians 1, 7, in John 8, 36, we are free from shame, fear, and condemnation. In Colossians 2, 10, in 1 Peter 2, 24, we are whole and complete. Ephesians 1, 3, John, 1 John 4, 4, in Luke 10, 19, we have gifts and weapons. That's my favorite, the weapons part. 1 Peter 2, 9, in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, we have a future and a purpose. See, these are all things that, that speak to who we are as men and that how we were created. And none of these things are, do, are conditional. They're not based on us. They're based on Him. I want to read something to you from one of the books here. This is from a book called Men on Fire by Stephen Mansfield. Uh, he's a gentleman I've been following for a while. He speaks about men's issues and things. It says, when a man knows his strength and his gifts and uses them to enable others or ennoble others, when he understands his needs and satisfies them in righteous ways, he is a thing of beauty. He reflects the glory of God. He assures the, magnific he assures the magnificence of women. He summons destiny from the hearts of the young. He makes communities safe and nations good and demonstrates virtuous power to the world. Evildoers cower. Weak men recover themselves. Women and children rejoice. That's a man walking in who he is. That's a man walking in noble manhood, in righteous manhood, in godly manhood. And I'm not going to read that. I'll, I'll read this. I'll read it like this. This is another line in here that I think was very good, but... Uh, it says, we need to stop living from a place of selfishness and start living from a heart where God rules and righteous fires blaze. The righteous fires that, that are in a man's heart that was put there by God. We all need that revelation of who we are. We all need to understand because, see, you, we get so bogged down from day to day. We hear all these voices. These voices from our past. That te try to tell us who we are. That try to dictate to us what we do in our lives. There's only, there's only two, two voices we need to listen to. Number one is God's. The Holy Spirit. 
And if we're married, our wives. <laughs> That's the only two voices we need to listen to. <laughs> now, going along with understanding who we are and, and, and who, who God has created us to be, we have to have the calling. This greatness, this man that's on the inside of us has to be called out. There are a lot of men out here that are walking around not knowing who they truly are. And it takes other men to call that out of them. You know. In Jeremiah 1.5 it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Do we notice that that verse does not specifically name anyone? That verse is for everyone, for all men, because God knows every man. I think as I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and, and uh, we were uh, talking about things along this line, and, and uh, he was trying to, the gentleman was trying to explain uh, how he was or a reason he was doing something other than I looked at him and I said, Dude, let me tell you something. God knows you better than you know yourself. God created you. Everything that God on the inside of you, God put there. It just needs to be let out. Every man has a great man on the inside of him. That great man has to be called out by other men and women as well. One of the greatest feelings to a man is to have his wife tell him he is a great man or a good man. And I wanted the room to be full of women to hear that. Because I really, I really want the women, women to understand that and know that. Because I hate to say, you know, there are probably men out there who get berated by their wives. But I know for myself, when I was married, some of the, the, the greatest things that, that puffed me up or that, that, that made me feel great was a praise coming from my wife. Somebody telling me, you know, I, you know how good I was or, or to, to hear her say something good about me to other people. That does wonders for a man. Yeah. yeah. Her opinion matters more to him than that of anyone else, with the exception of his father, God. And that is important because the way a man feels about himself affects the family. It impacts the family. When a man feels like he's worthless or he's no good, he's going to act that way. He's not going to be be motivated to do anything. And of course it's going to affect his family. A man may not be showing his greatness. He may be acting like a donkey more often than he acts like a, you know, a stallion. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not there. A man's worth is found only in God, but God uses others to call it out. You know, God used me uh, with Billy the other day. Uh, if y'all met Billy and his wife, I was named Cherie, Sherry, and everything. Uh, they were sitting in our parking lot out here, and uh, Brad, I had arrived, and Brad, uh, I was on the phone when I arrived, and uh, Brad had walked up to him and had began a conversation with him. And I, don't, I didn't think I was on the phone that long, but when I got off the phone and got out there, Brad was already about what sounded like 10 minutes into a sermon, and I was like, dang, man, how did you get there that fast? <laughs> you just said hello, and the next thing I know, you're carrying on a sermon. <laughs> so, but I just walked up, and everything I was listening, and I just, you know, I'm like, hmm, okay, so I'm just listening Listen to everything Brad's telling him. Listen, trying to listen to what the guy's saying, what Billy's saying, and everything. And, you know, I started listening on the inside of myself. Okay, Lord, you want me to say anything? You know, have I got anything to say? And so, you know, for a long time, I just I didn't hear nothing. So I just 
kept my mouth shut. <laughs> you know, in those moments when you don't hear God telling you anything, it's a good thing to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but near the end of it, and, and I almost didn't do it. We all have these stories of where, where we hear God speak to us on the inside, telling us to do something, and we almost didn't do it. And it come up on the inside of me to tell him he was a good man. And we walked away, and I'm sitting there thinking about it, and we started walking away. And I just sit there and thought, I'm fixing to lose an opportunity. But God, <laughs> but God redeemed it. As we were walking away, I don't know, just one of those moments. I happened to turn back, and Billy turned to wave and everything, and that was my, mo- my moment. I looked at him, I said, Billy, you're a good man. I see it on the inside of you. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, he, he might can testify different. I don't know, I, this is just what I thought. I thought I saw something change in his eyes when I said yeah. that. Amen. That's nothing on me. That's just, you know, that's God. Yeah. God working. Now, you know, Billy might tell you a different story. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, he's just, hey, okay, yeah, you're goofy. <laughs> you know, or something or other like that. But there's great, a great man down on the, each, a great man on the inside of us. And that great man has to be let out. He has to be called out. Then we have to let him out. Because that great man is in there. He's in a cage. He's in a cage of all the negativity, the self-worthlessness that we put on ourselves. He has to be called out and then he has to be let out. We have to to proverbially go in there and and unchain him and and unlock that cage and let him out. And and I'm going to say this. When I say there's a great man on the inside of each and every man, let me tell you something. A, being a great man doesn't mean that you're a general in an army and you've won wars. That's right. Being a great man doesn't mean that you're the most awesome president of the United States that ever was. Being a great man is, doesn't mean that, that you've uh, you know, made some kind of a foundation that's, that's fed a thousand people or anything. That's not being a great man. Being a great man is... When your child comes to you and says, Daddy, will you play with me? And you put down whatever you're doing and take just a few minutes and play with your child. Amen. Being a great man is, is when your wife comes home and you can see that, that she's had a hard day. And, and, and you take her and you start massaging her shoulders and you say, tell me about your day. You know, being, a, being a great man is, is doing your best to, to be at every game that you can or, or every cheerleader thing that you can. That's what being a great man is. You know, all of these little things and, and, and probably a thousand other things that I could name about being a great man. And I'll tell you this for some of them. Being a great man is being able to step in and be a father yeah, right. to children who aren't your natural father, who aren't your natural children. And being a great man is making a decision to, to adopt a child that's not yours. Or to foster children that's not yours. Let me tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to puff my friend Delane up here for a minute. Delane and Rachel. They do something that I know is not within me to do. I could, I, fostering a child like that, I couldn't do that. That's not in me. I'm just going to be real and be honest. I don't believe that makes me less of a man. You know, or, or, you know, or, or not having a heart for people. But I just know that that's something that's not my area. <laughs> I'm just going to be real. A man's got to know his limitations, and that's a limitation. <laughs> I know. Uh, you, say, Kevin, you have to be called. Yeah. That greatness. And, and, and gentlemen, I, I'm telling everybody this because I know we have a room that's got great men in it. That's got men who are godly men in it. 
I know that we got probably people watching through lives that are good men. And sometimes you, if things I say, you're probably sitting there thinking, you know, I, I am this man or I try to be this man and I, and I do this man. Take what I'm saying and take it to those men that come across your lives that don't. That's why when I get up and preach, that's why I say a lot of the things I say. Not necessarily for you, but for you to take what I'm saying and giving it to somebody else. So you need to hear it because I want to encourage you. I want to inspire you. I want it to impact you and, and, and for you to realize who you are on the inside of you. But then for you to turn around and take it to somebody else. Like a young man standing out in our parking lot who needed to hear that he was a good man. But that greatness, like you said, that greatness needs to be called out. And I want to read you something here. Uh, um, Pastor Larry Raglan of Solid Rock Church wrote a book. It's called I See Greatness in You. And I want us to get the, the idea of something. He tells the story of when he was young and he met his wife. And this is kind of, to us, kind of a funny story when, when I when find it funny when I read it. But the impact of it, when you understand what happened. He grew up without his dad. He, uh, he got arrested for some late VHS tapes. Now, us older folks in here, we know what a VHS tape is. We used to go to a video store and we didn't rent DVDs. We, rent, we rented VHS tapes. If anybody from the Warrior area remembers Pizza Video Carryout down here, <laughs> you could, you, in the early days, you could get a, a VHS player, a VHS tape, and a pizza all in one place. That's right. Well, the story is <laughs> with the <delivery. laughs> So, uh, so and, I, and I would tell some of the younger ones and everything. To explain to you what a VHS tape is, I would say think about a cassette tape just a little bit larger. But if I say cassette tape, you're probably not going to know what that is either. <laughs> so the story is, is that he had rented some video, VHS tapes, some videos, and he'd put them in his car and forgot about them. And then just threw stuff in there on top of them. Well, after they got late for so long, the video store decided to have him arrested. <laughs> so he has to go to court. And, and this is after he's, he had met his wife, Sandy. They're just young and everything, and, and he's, he's wanting to marry her, gets engaged to her and everything. So he's sitting there thinking, it's over. She's going she, you know, to find out I'm a liar and I'm a fraud and everything. And, and, and this, this woman who's the greatest thing that's happened to him in his life is not going to want to be with him. But I want to read you this right here. It says, when the judge said, you can go, I was relieved. But part of me didn't want to leave. I knew the hardest thing in my life was about to happen. My immaturity, inner demons, and brokenness were about to cost me more than a criminal record. I was about to lose my one shot at the greatest thing to ever happen to me. Some of the greatest Bible heroes, many were frauds, liars, thieves, adulterers, and even murderers. But God used situations and people in their lives to help them see the big picture. They couldn't see it on their own. And I apologize, I thought I had. Okay, so let me back up. So he talks about the immaturity and the inner demons and He's about to lose his one shot, the greatest thing that ever happened to him. So as it reads in the book, 
he walked out and he met Sandy, his wife, before they were married when they were engaged on the sidewalk. And he tried to tell her, he said, you might as well go. You might as well leave. I'm, no, I'm not good enough for you. Tried to hand her her ring back and she wouldn't take it. And he asked her why. Why, won't you, why. why would you want to stay with a man like me? Now see, it's comical because we're thinking, dude, it was just videotapes. You know, it was just a, a goofiness of, of, of a video store and, you know, law enforcement. But to him at that moment, it was the greatest thing that was wrecking his life. Wrecking the, 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 the best thing that he was going for in his life. And he asked her, he said, why are you staying with me? And she looks at him and says, I see greatness in you. And I'm going to tell you, the first time I read that in that book, it took me a few minutes to go even further. Because how many of us men simply want somebody to say, I see greatness in you? You know? There was a time in my life when I would have given my left arm to hear somebody say that I was a good man. To hear somebody say that I was a great man or that they saw greatness in me. And there's a meme sometimes on Facebook that I see from time to time that uh, it says, be the man that you needed in your life. Basically, the kind of man that you needed in your life, if he wasn't, if he wasn't there, then you endeavor to be that kind of a man. So I started trying to be the man that I, I needed in my life. That's why I can look at Brad Hall and say, I see greatness in you. I see greatness in you, Tony Tyke Miller. I see greatness in you, Cedric Kidd. I see greatness in you, Michael Davenport. And I see greatness in you, who's dude, dude whose name I keep forgetting. <laughs> Preston, Preston, Preston. I knew it was Preston. <laughs> Sorry, dude. But seriously, Preston. Honestly, man. Amen. You know, I, I don't know you. You don't know me, man. We ain't really spent time together. But, I, but when you come in, and I look at you and I see you, man. I'm like, there's something great on the side of that day. There's something there. He may not know it. He may not see it. He may not recognize it. But it's there. Yeah. It's there. See, I call that out of you, man. Don't, don't let it confuse you. Don't let it fool you. Don't let, don't let it sit there and get in your mind, man. What is he talking about? What is it? What is it? Let God show it to you. Let God bring it out of you. And I want to tell you all something. You know, our past, the, the, the things we think about ourselves in, the, in our past... We think, you know, this happened in my life, so I can't never be this, or I'll never be that. Let me tell you something. God does not consult your past to determine your future. God does not consult your critics to decide your worth. And neither should you. Now, the last thing uh, of my three points is the vision. Men need a vision. Great men have vision. 
They have a vision for themselves and they have a vision for their family. When men are left without vision, everyone suffers. And old, old methods won't fix a root problem. Meaning if you're trying to have a vision and you're trying to, to facilitate a vision in your life and you keep running around in circles and it's not happening because you keep trying the same old things over and over or you keep going into the same old ruts over and over, you're going to have to get out of that. You're going to have to change something. Because that same rut won't get you, well, is going to get you to the same place every time. In Habakkuk 2.2, write the vision. Make it plain on tables so, so he may run who reads it. I challenge men, write it down. Write down what you would like to see. Write down what you, you think about in your life. What you, your vision for yourself. Your vision for your family. You know, several weeks ago, uh, I had kind of a different thought about this message. A different way I thought it was going to go. And uh, I, I had a, a, a video clip I was going to use, you know. And then about the, the, week, the week right before last week when I was supposed to preach last week, you know, it's like God totally changed the direction, you know. And I said I didn't want to be the guy that got up there and said, well, I had a message that was going this way, but God totally changed it and go this direction. So I'm just telling you that I'm, I'm trying not to be that guy to tell you that I had a different direction for my message and God changed it. Uh, but <laughs> the clip I was going to use was uh, from uh, Christmas Vacation. If everybody's seen that movie and you love that movie. And I tried to find this clip, but I could not find it. Anyway, I thought, well, we're just going to have to use a DVD off of this, you know. And if you remember, if you've seen it, it's almost a little insignificant part of the film. And it's where Clark Griswold is sitting in his office at work. And he's sitting there and he's, he's looking at the swimming pool, you know, that he wanted to put in a pool. And he's sitting there, he's got that little model of a swimming pool and he's flipping the diving board on it. You know, and he's thinking about that bonus check that hasn't come or that he hadn't got yet because that's what he's going to use to buy the pool with or put in the pool with. His coworker comes in and talks to Clark. And, and I don't remember exactly how the, how the exchange goes, but the coworker's standing there and, and he asked him about the bonus. He said, no, I'm sure it'll come or something to, something to that effect. And, but it gets down to it. He realizes, uh, you know, Clark's going to put in the pool. He goes, and he does the classic, oh, my God, you're putting in a pool. And then he says this to Clark. He says, Clark, you're the last true family man. <laughs> now, as funny and comical as that is, the weight of those words at that time, back in the 80s at that time, the last true family man. See, and it's like I was saying earlier. Greatness doesn't come from, from being this, this, you know, this person, this hero. Greatness comes from being that man that God has created us to be on the inside of us. There's places that God has not called me to be. But then there's places where God has called me to be. And for me to be a great man, I have to go to those places. And that's each and every one of us. You know, he's called Brad Hallman to be the pastor of Life of Faith North Church. He's called Tony Tykemiller to be the, the owner of Full Moon Barbecue. 
He's called Cedric Kidd to do whatever it is that Cedric Kidd does that I keep forgetting and what he does. <laughs> He's called Michael to be a gardener and a, fa- and a father and a husband. He's called Preston to be an employee of Tony and a boyfriend to Ellie. That's where you need to be right now. And you need to be the greatest of each one of those things that you can be.